Talking Kong, a cup of tea with an Englishman in San Diego. Season 7, Incidental Episode. Comics Editor, Joseph P. Illich. Today, uh, it's Tuesday, it's a special episode. It's an incidental episode. The reason why we do these, it's uh, when we have somebody who perhaps um, can't make the Wednesday or the Sunday, but we really, really want to talk to them. Uh, and that's why I've got uh, someone very special joining us today. Uh, Joseph Illage, hello there, sir. How the devil are you? How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Yeah, I'm sorry, sorry that wasn't as big and bombastic as the Tribbles podcast. Uh, introduction uh, which I watched. I, what, I did watch that. <laughs> My word, that's a lot of energy. Uh, you see, I'm a, I'm a middle-aged white boy from Yorkshire. I don't have that amount of energy in me. <laughs> that was insane. It depends what hour you catch me. So <laughs> I, 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 I think the triples got a bit lucky, but I think, I think we have some energy right now. I think we're going to do just fine. We're going to be good. We're going to be great. Um, and also, is it Joe or Joseph? Because I always, I, I, uh, when we met in person, I called you Joseph all night because that's how I know you. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I feel like people make their own decisions in time, so I'm comfortable with either or. Okay. So yeah, you big, can call me whatever you like. Okay, so Big J, welcome along. Uh, there we go. <laughs> See, uh, that's a new one. No one's ever you've done not, that You've not had that one before. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, obviously, um, a lot of people who have been watching some of these episodes, they they know the general uh, layout of the industry. They know some of the names. They know the players, certainly when it comes to artists and writers. But perhaps they may not be aware of you and your extensive uh, back catalogue of work in the comics industry. Um, so, I think it's only fair we say, Joe Illich, can you please introduce yourself? Tell us, uh, tell us a bit about yourself. Uh, sure. So, my name is Joseph Illich. I've been in the comic book industry for 27 years. I started as an intern at Milestone Media in 1993. Milestone was the first black-owned comic book company to publish a truly inclusive superhero universe and have a publishing deal with DC Comics. I would move on to become part of the editorial department there and learn under Dwayne McDuffie, who was my first mentor, and really showed me what editing was. He trained me in the vocation of editing, and that was where my editorial career began. From there, I had a brief stint at Simon & Schuster, working in their Star Trek books department, after which I moved over to DC Comics, where I became a member of the Batman editorial department. This was during the years of No Man's Land, the creation of Cassandra Cain, the Batgirl to follow after Barbara Gordon, who is still being published in comic books today, and the Batman Year 2000 relaunch, which gave us a number of seminal titles in the character's mythology, including the detective comics run by novelist Greg Rucka and artist Sean Martinbro. From there, 
I did a lot of work in book production and learned the value of the quality of the book because value quality helps sell books. Our stories are contained through either good and great packaging or bad and mediocre packaging, and it affects everything. So that kind of career expansion was helpful when I would return to comics and work at a company called Arkea. They would later get purchased by Boom Studios, so I moved on from there. And eventually, I became a writer of a column at Comic Book Resources called The Mission, which was a column that explored diversity and inclusion in business and in characters and in creators in comic books and entertainment. From there, I became the senior editor of Lion Forge Comics, where I editorially shepherded Catalyst Prime, which was a multicultural, inclusive superhero and science fiction universe brought together a truly stellar and amazing team of creators and worked with great colleagues. And from there, I moved on to Valiant Entertainment, where I was the executive editor there. And during that time, I editorially shepherded and launched the Livewire series, which was written by Vita Ayala, illustrated by Raul Allen and Patricia Martin, lettered by Saida Tamafonte, and really was a great addition to the universe and a pretty relevant story in our times. And from there, I went on to A Wave Blue World as an editorial director, and I worked on a few graphic novels, which you will be seeing next year. And now I am the executive editor for Heavy Metal Magazine. It's a really great time for the magazine. Issue 300 is coming out August 19th. And Heavy Metal is really a legendary brand, so it's my honor to work there under new management and with a great team of creatives. And that leads us to here and now. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, I think a lot of people, um, I mean, I've always wanted to do, when we've, I've done panels at Comic-Cons, um, you see the writers' panels, you see the artist panels. I always want to see colorist panels. I always want to see letterers panels, and I want to mm -hmm. see editor. I want to see editorial panels because I I think a lot of people don't appreciate or understand the the mystic arts, the dark arts of being an editor. Yeah. In, 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 in I I, <laughs> I would oh agree God. with you. I would agree with you. It is kind of an elusive vocation in terms <laughs> of what it involves. And I don't know if any two editors will have the same answer to the question, what does an editor do? I do remember a few years ago, I believe it was 2015, I was actually on an editorial panel with um, the legendary Diana Schutz from Dark Horse, um, Shelley Bond oh, wow. from Vertigo and Black okay. Crown. Did you, did, you and manage, now, did, you, did you manage to get a word in? <laughs> I absolutely did manage to get a word in. Shelly and I go way back to the DC days right, when okay. she was in Vertigo and I was in Batman. And um, Mike Martz, who's oh, one wow. of the found, founding partners of Aftershock and a good friend of mine, um, he was there. Um, Shannon Eric Denton was on the panel. So that was a really fun editorial panel. And I agree with you. I would like to see more of those as well as colorists and letterers. Um, today is a day where I'm getting a lot of emails from colorists and letterers, and 
it's really so joyous to see these different people, their, their, their talents, like in my inbox. And so those are creators that are unfortunately underappreciated in our industry and definitely have earned more visibility. Especially in 2020 as well, because, um, I mean, a lot of the industry is under so much pressure uh, due to the pandemic and the way that it's affected industries, not just comics, but across the board. Um, but so many people are now really, there's, if they are working on mainstream titles and working for the mainstream publishers, they're struggling because the, the publishers have dialed back on a number of books. Um, mm -hmm. it, the I would say that uh, perhaps one market is going um, self-publishing and going Kickstarter, Indiegogo, whatever. But now that's everyone's turning to that as a possible revenue stream. So that's turning into a really um, congested uh, area as well. So getting your face in the frame, um, I can imagine for um, inkers, letterers, colorists um, is pretty difficult in terms of the the editorial. I mean, how far? I mean, how has the pandemic affected you and that level of the, the industry? The the kind of uh, the the corralling of talent uh, to to get get books back onto the shelves. Right. You know, in terms of bringing talent together, heavy metal is a really interesting place for a number of reasons. One of which is that while other publishers are shrinking, heavy metal is expanding. So we're expanding in a number of different ways, one of which is our new creator-owned imprint virus, which if creators have finished books and we like them, we can get them to market pretty quickly, like in a month, and creators can start seeing profits almost immediately as well instead of having to wait through the typical three-month cycle in which Diamond gets their monies back and then the publisher get their monies back and oh yeah, by the way, here's something for you. So in that way, we have served creators and fans of the comic book industry by providing another avenue to get stories out. Um, additionally, by other publishers telling a lot of talented creators to put their pencils down, it has made it really fortuitous for us because we have been able to talk to various creators and give them opportunities to come to heavy metal. And one of the things that's happening is when they come here and they join our family, we offer them a currency which really cannot be overstated, which is the currency of fun, right? Yeah. So for example, you're working on a high level intellectual property. From a, from a fan perspective, that's very sexy. Oh, you get to draw Darth Vader every month? That's amazing. I would give my left arm to draw Darth Vader every month. Well, not if you knew what it took to deal with <laughs> Lucasfilm and any department that has to have their say in drawing Darth Vader every month. And those characters and that world for which the rules are very strict, and rightfully so, because of the expansive nature and legacy of Star Wars. So when they come to Heavy Metal, what we say is that creative energy that had been stifled for you on other projects, you can let it fly free here. We want you to be creative. We want you to have fun. We want to embrace 
what you have to offer. I was speaking with um, one of the writers that we brought in, Stephanie Phillips. She's been announced as the writer who is relaunching our Tarna character for us under our new Tarna series. And one of the things I said to Stephanie is any limitations that this industry has placed on you, take them off. Any, any, any shackles, take them off because um, I don't want you to feel limited in any way. There's no such thing as a bad idea. There's nothing that we can't discuss. And it's all about finding the solution to the best story in a collaborative fashion. So yeah. I feel in that way, from my editorial perspective, that is how this pandemic has created a paradigm shift in terms of working with creators to speak to that point. Sure. Uh, I mean, the one th thing, I mean, certainly it's leading up to uh, the, the conversation about heavy metal, going through your your CV. Uh, and while um, the, the places that you have worked, um, sometimes it's been for a few months, sometimes it's been for a couple of years, but the, 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 I think the overriding um, philosophy of what you brought to those um, uh, projects and to what you do uh, at those various um, uh, uh, publishers, I mean, for example, at Lionforge, like Valiant, what you've done is you've striven to not just allow um, creators to do their best work, but you've also wanted to really make an impact on the industry and on the company beyond your tenure there, if you if you know what I mean. Um, the way that you, I mean, uh, at Valiant when you brought back uh, Bloodshot and um, when, like you say, with Livewire, uh, there is that, that overriding uh, theme with what you do in that you it's not just a, a case of I want to make a, an impact. I want to make a lasting impact. Um, and I want to make something um, beyond um, my tenure a, 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 a place. Um, where does that Thank start? Thank you for where, saying where, that. Where, 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 does, where does that drive come from? Wow. Wow. Well, first of all, thank you for your kind words. I really appreciate that. I do firmly believe that time spent at a place is not necessarily as important as impact made at a place. And so I appreciate your kind words. So where that really came from would have to be the milestone founders. I'm just going to say part, it's that, that sounds right? like a Dwayne McDuffie thing, right? You know, well, so, so milestone, right? So, I read all these articles that say that there were four founders at Milestone, but there were really five, right? Ding. So everyone knows Dwayne McDuffie, Dennis Cowan, Michael Davis, and Derek T. Dingle. A lot of people do not mention Christopher Priest. Now, Christopher Priest was there and gone before I got there, but his impact was in the DNA of what would then be built on and followed up on by a genius mind like Dwayne McDuffie and a genius mind like Dennis Cowan. So it was those four men who impressed upon me the need to constantly fight for a better world through story, right? 
if I want to go a little deeper, um, and I don't do this enough, so you must be just really getting something out of me. <laughs> like, I would really have to give credit to my mom because my mom, she's not a quitter. That's not in her DNA. I mean, you can knock her down and she's going to get back up. And so I'm the same way, right? Until, until there's not work to be done anymore in this industry and the entertainment industry as a whole, then if I can help make a positive contribution by facilitating the voices that are going to shape the future and by helping to shepherd mythologies of characters that are, that are relevant to us, then I'm honored to do it. And so that is something that I try to do wherever I go, you know, in the case of Valiant, not only do I feel that Livewire was truly in the spirit of the mythology and the groundwork laid by all of the people that relaunched Valiant, but also bringing a writer like Alex Packnadel there for Incursion. Alex and I have since become good friends. I feel like Alex is one of the true um, genius voices in comics today. I'm very glad you that, said and the, that. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and the fact that he's not writing a monthly Batman comic is absolutely bananas. We've had Alex on this show um, and it, he was on with Declan Shalvey and I basically hyped that episode for about a week or so beforehand, basically saying he is, for me, the most exciting writer out there at the moment and why he's not a comics rock star right now is beyond me. I, it's absolutely uh, bananas. And it's great. To, it's not just me that's saying it. <laughs> so there we go. It's good to hear it from uh, somebody else. And uh, everyone who's watching this now, go and find that man's work because. Yep, word. yep. He did a great. He did great work. He and Andy Diggle and the team on Incursion for Valiant. He has, I think, two one shots coming up in the Marvel Empire yeah. event. I'm looking forward to both of those, and I intend to work with Alex in the future. So that's something that I'm looking forward to. But yeah, I think I think that's what it is, right? The drive is to continue providing opportunities for people whom have earned opportunities through the quality of their work. And there is a true heartwarming satisfaction of seeing these stories in tangible form and digital form when you go on social media and someone is talking about it two years later, right? Yeah. I was talking with Dennis Cowan, um, friend, mentor, and one of the co-founders of Milestone the other day. And I said to him, there is no way you could have told me that when we were there in the 90s, that 27 years later, that there would be two generations of people wanting these characters so bad that these characters have saved their lives, changed their lives, set them on their life paths. Y you have no idea at the time that's possibly the best that you could hope for, that your labor 
makes a positive impression in somebody else and that goes forward in time and space, you know? So, sure. so sure. Well, well, first I, things I love first, my job. Absolutely. I mean, first things first, can we also just say it's great to hear that Dennis Cowan is feeling better? Is I mean, is he back to full strength? How's how? Because he's had he's had a year. I mean, we've all had yeah. a year, but he's had yeah. a year. <laughs> he, he we had quite a scare as his just. friends and family, but he's doing good. Um, I will let him know that you asked, and yeah, we need we need people like Dennis. We need sure. visionaries like that. And even when you look at Dwayne, who passed away some time back the impression that he left in the universe is still very much making impact in people's lives today. Right. Yeah. And it's an, uh, it's an amazing and beautiful thing. Cool. Um, and when it, just to, to step back and um, return to the subject of, you, of your mom for a second, was it her that got you into um, comics and into uh, storytelling or uh, did you discover all of that on your own? Wow. Like, I mean, my my love of comics goes back to when I was a kid. Um, when I was in the second grade, my mom would take me to the newsstand every Friday. See, she would it was, buy it was soap your, opera. It was your mom. It was my mom. You know, she would buy herself soap opera magazines, and she would buy me comic books. So I knew the names of all the members of the Legion of Superheroes, and I knew the names of all the actors and actresses from All My Children and One Life to Live. So I kind of had that double education. And... But when you talk about a career, the idea of a tangible career in this space, that happened at Milestone. You know, the, the possibility of a future for someone like me was made manifest there. And so that was really where the path for me began to have a place in this industry and medium. When it came to the um, to become, because I know that you uh, went to the School of Visual Arts, so I mean, there's there's obviously the uh, the, the 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 art skill there, um, but then you became interested in writing. But there's there's a definite transition to um, editorial because it is a different skill set. There is a different. It's a different part of the engine. Um, so what made you gravitate towards um, editorial? as a, a career in, in terms of having that impact on the story beyond artist, art and writer and the, the, the on-page creative uh, element. Right. Where, where, did, where, did yeah. editor, where did editorial come in? That's a good question. So it started at Milestone, but when I, it started at Milestone and then when I moved to DC Comics and I worked in the Batman department. That's when it took on a whole different aspect, right? Because so then you're that was dealing... a lot of, that was a lot of plate spinning as well, because it was multi-title. It was yes, it was, yeah. It was multi-title. It was No Man's Land, which was a one-year, fifty-two book weekly event. No books could be late, man. So when I first got there, my very first order for any items that I ordered for office supplies. I looked in a catalog, I found the biggest whiteboard ever made, and I ordered it because I had to create a graph of all of the No Man's Land books, and I had to look at it from the 10,000-foot view on a daily basis. 
because if one book was late, it was a domino effect that cascaded throughout the entire year. So that couldn't happen. So there's that, but there's also understanding that when you're operating in Gotham, any decisions you make are going to have ripple effects into other media. Um, then when I became the editor of Birds of Prey, right, then there's another thing that happens. Then you're looking at representation of women and you're looking at representation of wheelchair users. Sure. And so when I was editing Birds of Prey, which is one of my career highlights to this day, and to me, Barbara Gordon will always be best as Oracle. I love Babs. I love Dinah. But it, I had another responsibility placed on my shoulders, which was the representation of women and wheelchair users in comics. And so that's really when it sinks in, when you realize that by corralling the right people together and doing your mind meld so you can create the vision of these stories, you are making an impact. And there's no way that I can step backwards from that, right? Sure. Because when you think about when you think about a lot of the changes that have happened in media, in entertainment, a lot of them are made behind the scenes. We tend to see the people who are in front of the scenes, right? So when you're talking about the Marvel Cinematic Universe, no one's talking about the executives behind the scenes who were making things happen, who then led to a new era of the Marvel Cinematic Universe in where you're going to see more queer characters, in which you're going to see Kamala Khan and things like that. So the responsibility of being in the business structure of a company and being able to facilitate the uplifting of creators, it's something that can't be ignored and it's an honor. And so that's something that I recognize as a serious importance. And the combination of the milestone responsibility of um, expanding our cultural landscape and the responsibility of dealing with Batman, sure. which is one of the most globally recognizable intellectual properties on this planet. Those two things combined made it clear to me that this was a vocation and not simply a job. Very cool. Um, this is going to be a, an. In, I'm going to try and word this question right. <laughs> but okay. Then again, but then again, the question is about wording things right. So bear okay. with me if I stumble over stuff. Because, like you say, when you're um, um, telling stories about uh, uh, marginalized people, when you're talking about, um, like you say, um, uh, 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 queer st uh, stories, uh, LGBTQ, um, disabled rights, and I, I mean, I've been guilty of it myself. Being a middle-aged white guy from Yorkshire, I don't have much experience uh, in um, uh, speaking uh, about um, uh, um, by um, people, and the, the, I, I sometimes get tripped up with my language. I did an interview with uh, the Double Clicks, uh, one of which um, 
is um, uh, represents as as by uh, uh, sorry as a non pronoun, um, and I tripped up several times on interviewing them um, and trying to and I had to reprogram my brain um, right. in terms of how to speak uh, and honor their you know who they are um, right. Where did you, how do you have that um, support system in learning and expressing yourself correctly um, in regards to uh, creators and also the stories that you're trying to tell as well? Because I can imagine that there's a, sometimes a little bit of pushback from the audience uh, that they, they let you know if something isn't being told correctly, if something isn't being told right. Um, how do you respond to those um, criticisms and how do you um, then kind of move forward from any maybe missteps that you've made? Right. You know, I think it comes down to best intentions, sure. right? So I have friends whom are non-binary that when I met them, they went by a particular gender classification and then changed. And then I had to recalibrate. And in the beginning, I was still messing up. Sure. But they graciously understood that I had the best intentions. So as I went forward, my ratio of error decreased significantly. I but like that. I, yes. like that. I like that phrase. Yeah, okay. Right, right. But yes, when they, when that word has meant a certain thing to you for 45 years yeah. and suddenly it means something more than that, the change for anyone to do it like that, God bless them. For a number of people, we have to rewire ourselves. But what it all comes down to is if you want to do it, you will accomplish it. And if you don't want to do it, then that will be manifested in your behavior too. And sure. what to me it ultimately comes down to is I'm going to put in best efforts, right? And where where do you usually what's find, good is where, where do you usually find the most kind of reaction to that? Is it um, at the after the effects? Um, sorry, after publishing or after a story has gone out, or is it um, at creator level when? I mean, I can imagine there is a support system that you have. So that ratio of error, I do like that phrase. I'm going to, yeah. Right. That kind of, that allows any misclassification to, or not, we're not just, mis, not, we're not just talking um, um, gender pronouns. We're also talking, um, like you say, with um, uh, disabled rights. Um, mm -hmm. that They are respected and that you're not, using them as a, a crutch to the story, uh, for want right. of a better phrase, that right. is very much a an aspect of the story, but not necessarily something that you're wanting. I mean, I, that, that sense, of, sense of spotlight, I can imagine, you have to kind of recalibrate as well. Right. So I will say in terms of a... So for me, most of the issues didn't happen in publishing. Thankfully, I feel that... I feel that I'm aware enough that a lot of the work that I help facilitate getting out there with the right creators on board doesn't have a lot of problems. Um, where I've seen most of the kind of like hiccups is in personal interaction. 
I had a writer's agent correct me and tell me someone prefers to be called they, even though that person's Twitter profile said she or they, but the agent corrected me. And I said, okay, understood. And I modified my behavior accordingly afterwards. Um, in terms of support, support, I feel really comes from teamwork. So when I was a senior editor at Lion Forge, Desiree Rodriguez, who is the assistant editor, was really a great source of support. And what we would do is every Friday, we would have our editorial run through calls. And I would say, okay, you know, we would have 15 minutes left. And I would say, Des, what do you want to talk about? And she taught me so many things. And I said, okay, I didn't know about thin waist syndrome. One time I said the word, I think I said transsexual and she said transgender. And yeah. I was like, okay, right? So I don't have an ego about learning. And to me, the smartest people in the room are the ones who surround themselves with even smarter people. Right. So that, that I do not find any difficulty with. <laughs> right. <laughs> Be kinder to yourself. Stop. But yeah, so in the case of Lion Forge, it was Desiree Rodriguez. In the case of Heavy Metal, it's the entire team. We're really a company of transparency. We have our weekly calls, everyone's on them, and we talk about different things. So I think that's what it comes down to. It's just having the right people in your orbit, whether they are colleagues or whether they're your friends and family members, and they'll be honest with you. Fair enough. Uh, we're going to get into um, conventions and your convention sure. history, um, because it is... <laughs> Last time I checked, this is actually supposed to be a Comic-Con Comic podcast. Uh, yeah, uh, so we, uh, right? I know, I, I, for the last month or so, I think I've almost forgotten that. But we'll, <laughs> we'll come back to that. Um, but certainly talking about... Um, the interaction um, not only with um, creatives but also with fans at conventions. So we'll get into that in a second. A couple of comments okay. and questions coming in on the uh, the chat already. Thank you very much indeed. Any questions you want to put to uh, Joe, do let us know. Anything you want to talk about today, do let us know. Uh, Dan, when I went to interview um, Vito Italia, uh, I, uh, sorry, uh, Mel Kalo made sure to let me know to use they, there as the pronoun. I think I've hiccuped a couple of times on that when interacting with them on um, on Twitter. Um, but mm -hmm. no, they're, they're very generous and they're very patient. And they, like you say, they 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 let me know uh, yep. very, very carefully and kind, kindly. Uh, Solicitor Smeg, um, I find that most people who talk down to adults who love comics almost view it as a genre as opposed to a medium. Is there a way to show them how diverse comics have become? Ooh, or is it pointless? Wow. Um, okay. Yeah, that's... That's a serious question. Um, Isn't it just? I don't think I don't think it's ever pointless to try to show people the narrative capabilities of comics because the comic book medium is a medium. First of all, it has strengths that no other medium has, and I actually consider it the best medium that combines words and images into an interweaved narrative. I remember reading an interview with Neil Gaiman years ago, and basically what he said is, you know, when we stop trying to emulate other mediums, and when we fully embrace this one, 
we will show the world that comic books are the best storytelling medium. And are we, are we still look... some way way away from that though? Because I mean, people still talk about um, camera shots, about um, directorship, about um, almost equating it to filmmaking um, instead of embracing it as its own art form. Are we, are we still some way away from that? Well, it's interesting. So one of the things that I'm doing is I co-wrote a graphic novel for humanoids called MPLS Sound, which is based on the Minneapolis sound movement. Um, it takes place during the 80s. And so I worked with an amazing artist named Meredith Laxton. And yes, there are cases when you use the shorthand of, you know, you say like OTS over the shoulder and things like that. But there were some times when I just said, do whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. Like, do whatever you want. And my thing is, if you come up with a better solution than I came up with, then we're going with your solution. And so I feel like in writing comics and approaching comics, it's about an attitude, right? So I think it's okay to use shorthand from other mediums. But when you are communicating with your creators, like my belief is that a script is a conversation. A script is not do what I say. A script is me trying to inspire you to do more than you've, than you've been capable of before, which means it's a conversation. It means I have to communicate to you my love for these characters or my thoughts and the, the pathos or the sense of joy or triumph of any given moment. So to me, those things are universal. And how the artists, the penciler, inker, letterer, colorist, how they all bring it together, that speaks to their individual styles and interests. So, I mean, there are some crazy comics out there, and I think it's amazing. I think when you look at something like um, Asterios Polyp, the graphic novel by David Mazzucchelli. David Mazzucchelli is not trying to emulate film or television. He's truly embracing the language of comics and he's bringing his knowledge, his in-depth knowledge of art history to the comic book medium. So something like Asterios Polyp, I think is pretty amazing. Now don't get me wrong, cinematic language basically led to the Marvel Cinematic Universe with the seminal series of The Ultimates by Mark Millar and Brian Hitch. Before that, The Authority. Before that, you could go all the way back to Grant Morrison and Howard, um, Howard Porter's Justice League of America. Um, that's a whole era that's been coined widescreen comics. So widescreen comics helped imprint these intellectual properties into the global consciousness, but those just shouldn't be our shackles, sure. right? They can be an option that we employ, but when we go into working on a comic book, we have an unlimited special effects budget. It's something that Denny O'Neill said a number of times when I worked in the Batman office and he was a Batman group editor. We have an unlimited special effects budget. Why are we limiting our thinking? Let's not limit our thinking. Makes sense. Um, and fair play, uh, if there's anyone who knows um, about what comics could be, um, Denny O'Neill is certainly that one of those gentlemen. Um, God rest his soul. Absolutely. 
Um, so let's talk about um, comic conventions and let's uh, sure. start with you. Start with your comic convention history because um, was it something that you went to as a pro or were you going to comic cons, you know, before as a fan? When I graduated from School of Visual Arts in the early '90s, I went to comic book conventions as a fan. Um, and one of the things that I learned during that time is that um, don't mistake work with the people who do the work because some people are very nice and genuine and some people are jackasses <laughs> and it's heartbreaking when you meet someone whose work you admire and they're a jackass. Right. So I think that really speaks to the idea that um, we should all operate from a prism of gratitude and we should all treat people the way we want to be treated. Um, that said, you know, I, it was just amazing to see these creators talk. I first interacted with Karen Berger at a convention at the, during Vertigo year one. And now Karen is a friend of mine and always a stellar example of the best editorial spirit that this industry has ever seen. Um, seeing Neil Gaiman talk about the Doctor Strange pitch that never became a story. Oh, my God. So I went in the early years as a fan when I got out of college. And which, then which, show, which, very, shows did you, which shows did you go to? Um, New York Comic Con. There was one, I forget, it was at that hotel in New York on 33rd and 7th. That's when comic book conventions were low-key, right? Like... <laughs> I remember walking up to a table and seeing a guy named Grant Morrison sitting at a table and no one was talking to him. And we had this long conversation about Doom Patrol because I started reading Doom Patrol and Animal Man because when I was in college, this girl named Lori said, are you reading Animal Man? I said, no. And she told me about the morphogenetic field. And I was like, what? Or the morphogenic field. I think more specifically, I was like, what? And then she told me about Doom Patrol. I was like, what? And then I went to Forbidden Planet, which at that time was on 13th and Broadway in New York. And I just picked up all of the Animal Mans and Doom Patrols that I could find. And I became a Grant Morrison fan. But the guy was sitting there and no one was talking to him. Now Grant Morrison has the Secret Service protecting him. <laughs> so, you know, those were the early days. Don't ask me how. 2015, I was... Um, Staff volunteering, uh, so crewing uh, the Room 2A at San Diego. Um, yeah. And he must have been either just coming out of a panel or heading towards a panel. But he was literally just walking down the, the back corridor. Uh, so I was mo monitoring the door and I just turned around and there's Grant Morrison. I have a picture of me, rabbit in the headlights with Grant Morrison. Um, and I, I, I cannot imagine how I would ever get that picture again. Um, because <laughs> yeah. you, you know, really, Photoshop. It, it, oh yeah, oh, no, yeah. I, I swear to God, I, I not only that because that particular year I was being pulled in all sorts of directions. I can't actually remember having that picture taken. So when I actually see the picture, I actually wonder: Did that actually happen? Did that actually take place? It, it's a very. I I get what you're saying because he's almost like this spirit that wanders by now. Is is almost like you you you've seen Bigfoot going by at some point. It's true. So the comic convention culture really took a shift. I think for me, the last San Diego Comic-Con that I went to 
that I would describe as sane was 2006. But after that, you know, after the Iron Man film came out, after the Christopher Nolan Batman films came out and suddenly San Diego Comic-Con became the epicenter of Hollywood and video game companies, then that entire paradigm shifted. And then New York Comic-Con grew as a result. You know, one of the best comic conventions, in my opinion, and creators have been telling me this for years, but when I finally got to go in 2018, you know, I really experienced it was Heroes Con in North Carolina because you just get to, the fans get to talk to the creators, the creators get to talk to fans, and it doesn't matter where you are on this artificial hierarchy of comic book um, lists. Everyone's sitting next to one another, right? Everyone is equal, and people just want to talk to people. Fans just want to meet creators. And you can just have these great conversations. So I think Heroes Con is one of the best ones. I haven't, I still haven't gotten to Emerald City. So hopefully in the new world to come out of this pandemic world, I'll have that opportunity. Um, I get the feeling there's going to be, there's going to be a lot of creators and a lot of people in the industry that's going to be doing a lot of conventions. If anything, to just kind of reconnect and see people face to face again. Um, I, I, I get the feeling there's going to be a lot of talent showing up at cons. Maybe not this year, and maybe not the beginning of next. Maybe more towards the summer. But I can I can see there's going to be the real a real snapback of a lot of people coming out of the. I mean, the whole what was it um, from uh, Lion King stepping out into the light. There's going to be a lot of vibe of that. Um, yeah, definitely, because, you know, what happens at the cons is all these people who are throughout the globe, these are the only times they get to see one another. Sure. Other than that, they're communicating through phone, through video, through emails, but to meet one another and just like give each other a pound um, and just just kick back and have a drink and just decompress and I'm a person, you're a person. That's part of what creators need. Um, well, I remember- That was good, that was good. Yeah. Oh, no, go, on, go ahead, you first. Oh, sorry, I was just gonna quickly say, I remember when I worked at DC Comics and something that Mike Carlin, when he was the executive editor there, would do is he would make sure that every time he got packages every day, he would call every creator that he got a package from and let them know he got the stuff, the stuff looks great. Thanks very much for sending it. And the Batman editorial group adopted that behavior. So I just remember yes. that we had to remember as editors that creators live solitary lives and human contact is an important thing. So part of our behavior should not just be, when am I getting my next pages? When am I getting my next pages? Hey, you're a day late. It's, <laughs> hey, thanks for sending the stuff. The stuff looks cool. And hey, how are you doing? Right? Are you okay? How are you doing? The world is strange right now. Is your yeah. family all right? You know, these things, right? Because we're all human beings. And, sure. and this business is actually founded on relationships. Sure. Uh, I mean, when it comes to comic conventions, I mean, I've, I've learned very quickly that there is definitely that divide between the, um, the attendees, which 
for I think for the vast majority of attendees nowadays for Comic Cons, they go not necessarily for the content, but for the Comic Con. They go for the community. They go for the the friends that they make. The the atmosphere that is generated at such shows. But then you, I mean, I then recognise that if you just take the word Comic Convention and turn it into a carpet lining convention, um, a you know, yeah, you know um, uh, a I don't know, paint handle convention. It is a trade show. So there's all the business that's happening on the other side of the table. In that regard, then, in that regard, then in the year where we've had no comic conventions, where we've had none of that networking and none of that um, ability for a creator to talk to another creator, to talk to an editorial, to talk to a publisher, what has been lost in 2020 and conversely, what has been gained in terms of being more um global in the internet in communicating by email talking by zoom and whatever what's been lost and what's been gained by not having comic conventions for the industry wow okay so that's a large question and i can only answer <laughs> yeah i, kind of, I can I only answer i suspected that a was small, a, <laughs> a small piece of it um you know what's been lost is a support system Right. When we um, commune with one another and spend time with one another, what we do is we give each other support. And those are the opportunities in which we can let down our guard and confess our demons and sometimes admit, honestly, I don't know how many more years I have in this. I don't know if. I don't know if I'm going to accomplish what I want to accomplish. Um, I know this is a high profile character, but I may just quit on Monday because the circumstances are so toxic. It's like to be honest with one another and to give each other support. That's what's lost in the absence of these conventions. Um, the capacity to give someone a hug and say, you know what, I love you, and you're gonna be okay, right? Yeah. That's important. Um, and so that's been lost, and certainly commerce has been lost, because we know we're dealing in an industry which is not one that makes most of its participants wealthy in a financial context. So. Creators go to conventions, they meet fans, they increase their customer base. And part of how they increase their customer base is because the fans see, oh, wow, not only is this person talented, they're just a nice person. I'm attracted to this person's energy. I want to I wanna experience that again and again and again. So without the convention, creators don't have the, the most interactive means by which to expand their audience i can also now, imagine the the, the 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 new blood as well the the the, the, the young up-and-comer the one that really right. wants to um impress um their work and their efforts on um at a portfolio review or just slamming a book down in front of a creator at a signing or something and just saying look at this i'm this is what i want to do at the end of the day that's lost because there's nowhere to show i mean everything can get lost very much you can put it up on pinterest you can put it up on 
uh, Instagram or whatever, but there are so many people out there doing that. The conventions was a way to have that direct one-on-one -on -one with um, someone who could actually get the books done. Right. I agree. I agree. And so in the absence of that, what that does is it forces creators to truly become entrepreneurs. And if they see their career as put their name in front of it, LLC, or put their name in front of it, incorporated, then they have to apply a certain level of business acumen when it comes to promotion, when it comes to where you place your work, when it comes to keeping yourself out there in the public consciousness. So it has necessitated the firing of different neurons in creators' brains. You mentioned Patreon earlier. Patreon yeah. is one of the things that is keeping creators going. It's one of the ways that allows them to know the size and shape of their of their community, of their trusted community. Kickstarter. Kickstarter is basically the third publishing option of our time, right? And so Kickstarter is another way that creators can get metrics through mailing lists where they can see their they are successful strategies, they are less than successful strategies, and they can modify them towards a future campaign. Um, so if we've gained anything, I would say, from the loss of personal interaction, we've gained a capacity to develop new muscles to increase awareness of our work and ourselves. Right. Yeah. Um, when it comes to artists, now the commissions market is exploding. Right. Because if someone loses a monthly book for three months because a company tells them pencils down, but that artist has a following, doors open. What yeah. do you want? Do you want Batman versus Bloodshot? Do you want Scarlet Witch on Wondergore Mountain, like holding Magneto's head on a pike? What do you want? You can you can Something get it. Something tells right? me you've ordered that already. Uh, I may have talked to, I may have spoken to someone about that one. In, but don't get me wrong, I like I like Magneto, but sometimes he misbehaves. <laughs> <laughs> you know, sometimes. Frank, listen, I now don't. I, well, I do really want to know what kind of artworks on your wall. The kind of mashups. Do you? I mean, even off that idea. <laughs> Good God, I mean, yeah, okay. Um, we've got a couple of uh, comments that are coming in. Um, we've got uh, Into the Blue, Mr., one of our regulars. Uh, I'm reading uh, Batman's Grave right now by Warren Ellis and Brian Hitch, and it's very cinematic, but I think you'll find that with Brian Hitch's work anyway. I mean, just the, the way he... I mean, that man was built to do um, long panels and uh, two-page spreads, and Warren Ellis can just feed into that. Right, and absolutely, and listen, like... So Brian Hitch's storytelling is not limited by a widescreen. Look at what he did with Hawkman. Yeah. With Hawkman, he used the idea of flight and thought about the vocabulary of the Thanagarians to determine how he shaped a page. So Brian Hitch is an illustrator as a storyteller because that's what he is. He's a yes, teller of story. Much. Right. Um, he is by no means limited by cinematic thinking. Has he employed it in a way that has made an impact on the medium and the industry? 
at large? Absolutely. But yeah. he is by no means limited by that thinking. Um, I do think Batman's Grave is a book of very particular intent. Um, I love it due to recent events that we don't have to get into. I think we may have seen the Omega of Batman's Grave. Yeah. And so be it. My feeling is that my personal theory, and I could be totally wrong, how would I know, is that we won't see any more single issues, but we will see a collected edition. Sure. No, and that's we'll, we'll, it. Yeah, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get into that as well. Um, in terms of the what you were talking about with uh, Comic-Con exploding, uh, we've got uh, Into the Blue Mister saying, uh, <coughs> cough, Twilight, cough. And uh, Toby saying, some still blame Twilight. Now, I... Right, I come on to the the uh, subject of that um, two regards. Number one, I totally agree with you in that it was around that 2006 moment. It was um, Tron Legacy. It was um, Iron Man. It was um, it was the focusing of Hollywood and indeed other mediums on that ecosystem, San Diego Comic Con. That was when it took took off. That's when they they weren't just marketing to the wider world. They were looking at that 160,000 people and going, that is our market um, share. That is our um, target audience. That's our um, demographics. Let's have a, that's our marketing right there. And that's when they yes. really kind of took off. And I'd even go back and say Blade. Uh, which people oh, don't- Oh, beyond a shadow of a doubt. People, people, don't, people don't recognize that as the first real modern, superhero movie and it was a, a a black lead character not not enough is recognized when it comes to blade as the importance of uh, that the whole explosion of the the, the superhero um the, the modern superhero movie absolutely um, in terms of twilight i do not um disparage any twilight fan i do not disparage the twilight moms I do not disparage the um, camping out overnight from the, the Sunday through for a Thursday panel. I disparage the books because they're crap. But the <laughs> oh actual, my goodness! But the, but the fandoms, I, I'll never disparage. I'll never disparage them. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> look, here's a thing that you know I've spoken to a bunch of you know colleagues and creators about this. We live the extraordinary on a daily basis, <laughs> as much as it's a grind. We operate in the realm of imagination. Most people do not. True. So for them to have contact with the creators of Saga, to have contact with the person who created The Walking Dead, to be able to directly interface with this realm of imagination, that's an extraordinary experience. It's it's almost the equivalent of very heady when you were a child and you would go to the circus. What if you could step out of the what if you could step out of the out of the bleachers and what if you could actually go right into the circus and interact with the clowns and the stilt man, and the <laughs> elephant and stuff like that. Right? I was, I was, that I, was, I, was I was wondering when you were going to start um, referring to uh, the people in the comics industry as clowns. Um. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's now you see, now you see. So anyway, what I'm saying is, um, I have nothing against fandom like you because fandom is the human desire to interface with the extraordinary. And that's cool. Toxic fandom I have a problem with because sure. that is about that is about hurting 
other gatekeeping um, yes about uh, I mean we talk about diversity it's about the closing of barriers and just yeah it's it's right. it's, the like, clo- it's, it's the it's the put <laughs> it's the putting up of walls um, yeah it, exactly you know, and it's and it's and it's the it's the it's the weaponization of opinions right they have it. and um that makes no sense to me i have yeah. a feeling you don't agree with it you know what that's fine i don't have to argue with you about it no. and i don't engage in the arguments you know um but fandom is the fuel for industries of story I think if anything, the, the the only thing that I'm really glad about, and it's something that has come up in recent years and revelations about um, toxic fandoms when it comes to Star Wars, when it comes to, to Comicsgate, when it comes to, um, well, any of them, any of the toxic fandoms, thankfully it has become very readily apparent. It's a staggeringly small amount of people. It's the ant with a me- megaphone. It's mm-hmm. the, a very large amount of noise from a very small um, uh, qu- uh, quantity. Thank God. Um, Absolutely. Okay. Um, other comments. Uh, Dan Berry saying hi. Ran into Joe at one of the smaller cons in SoCal. Uh, can't remember if it was um, Long Beach or LA. So uh, Dan says hi. Um, oh, hey, Dan. Yeah, it was likely Long Beach Comic Con. I've been there twice. Yeah, and he's also talking about Emerald City. Awesome con for the Artist Alley alone. Over 600 creators, I believe. Um, yep. And indeed, Karma Savage is saying, I'll be trying Emerald City again in 2022. Um, and uh, Good P's, idea. Yeah, and Michael P. Hello there, Michael. Uh, Seattle is so great, so is Chicago, and talking about C2E2. I think everyone's just looking forward to getting back uh, to these shows. Um, I would say so. Um, when it comes to recent revelations, and you kind of uh, alluded to it with uh, a particular uh, creator there, and also the way that we have been hearing about developments at the CBLDF, which we have talked about on the show, mm-hmm. and thankfully, again, we can say it is an incredibly small amount of um, people that we are talking about, but the damage they are doing is quite large and I think the reason why I wanted to talk about this to you now very quickly is about the fact that it does happen at conventions and the, the vast majority of the stories that we've been hearing have taken place at conventions um, right is that it is that letting down of the guard um, in a position and a time when or a, a period of time at convention when egos are being massaged heavily um, and at the end of the day it, the, the recent conversation has led to a lot of people being very weary of the post-convention kind of, but the bar con, as people would as have, have talked about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What do you see happening uh, when it comes to conventions? As somebody who is in editorial, who is in, uh, in the uh, the mechanics of putting books together, in that kind of the interaction of talent and um, the the people that put the books together. Do you think people are going to be more guarded uh, now? And frankly, should they be? Right. So for one thing, you know, I want to reference something that a friend of mine, Bon Alimagno, who was a talent manager at Marvel some years back and now works with Comics Experience, said on Facebook, which is the idea that creators need to interact with editors at a bar to get a job. That's false. 
And I can't think of any such interaction that led me to hiring a person, right? So there's that. Um, secondly, yes, I do believe that people are going to be more guarded and rightfully so. Um, I suspect that the kinds of environments where these may happen, maybe they won't happen at environments that have so much alcohol. And I'm not saying alcohol is the problem, but what I'm saying is people use those people use those kinds of circumstances to excuse their horrifying behavior. They will write it off because they were inebriated, they were drunk, they didn't mean it, and this and that. So I think the kinds of environments in which we will be communing to just decompress and the methods to decompress, that's going to change. I think that what I would hope is assuming that we fail to excise all of these cancerous bodies from the body of the industry, that for those that remain, that they will understand that we are watching them. Sure. And in watching them, there will be hell to pay if I'm, we observe this untoward behavior. If you're still going to come to our gatherings to exploit and to victimize, and we see that, we have to deal with it sure. decisively. I think the one thing that's going to come out of 2020 and the the discussion that's happening right now i think the difference being because and and this is the thing it's going to be a difference because you say that that people are seeing this behavior that we will not let it stand that things will be said that um people will be told the people who have been told haven't done anything in previous year in tw from 2020 going forward i think there's going to be more um reckoning i think there's going to be more understanding that it i mean the the, the conversation or the, the way that i've been putting it is that the the metabolism of social media and the metabol metabolism of story and news um has allowed that the someone just makes a statement the spotlight shifts away to the next thing people slink away and they will continue to behave the way they have done i think if we continue the conversation and we keep the spotlight on those that need, like you say, to be excised, I think that we need to just keep, we need to keep the pressure on and we need to keep the light I, sh shining. I agree 100%. And I feel like the continuing mission of that, the determination to do that, I think we have made the mistake of believing that leadership was going to do that. And I think we've learned that that is not the case and that we will have to do it. The soldiers will have to do it. The community will have to do it. And when we do it, then the leadership will see. You know, years ago, I did an interview with um, Caramel Horn, the blurred girl, and I suggested that basically the heads of the various comic book companies get together and create like the bylaws of behavior 
for their companies and in this industry and put it out there as a universal message to let the predators know you will not be tolerated here, you will find no refuge here, and we will remove you decisively and expediently. That has not happened. So you know what? It's a bloody we good are, idea. We, we are going to, well, thank you. Um, my, my, my true flaw is that I'm an idealist, yeah? So, <laughs> but what I think is we are going to have to do it. The people are going to have to do it. And I just want to say that to those women whom have come out with their stories in the past few weeks and months and have been screaming for years to the ones that are lost to this industry, that this industry owes serious reparations to them and that we, we must be in service to them going forward. Agreed. Very agreed. Um, I, I'm there's I, there's nothing much more I can add to that because it, I agree one hundred percent. But the there are other names involved, and I've because uh, uh, I had somebody reach out to me when um, um, Takai's story came out, and when yeah, um, and various all the, all these stories started tumbling forward. More names started coming forward, including someone who reached out and said, okay, here are a number of, here's some names from the volunteer staff at CBLDF who were on um, uh, the, uh, manning the tables uh, that were treated badly. The amount of those names that are now so far away from comics that were making a head, head stay into the industry and had that career knocked out of them effectively, just demoralized and that, that I mean, there's someone who's now raising alpacas for heaven's sake. Um, wow. Because they just couldn't deal with this environment that had been created. And to be fair, by one person and thank my biggest fear now is that one person by resigning will slink into the shadows. That son of a bitch better be ready to reap the whirlwind because my word. Okay. Moving on, moving on, yes. very, very good. Yeah, moving on. A couple of quick uh, comments, Michael P. Unfortunately, anyone can destroy, but only a few can create. Absolutely true. Uh, Solicitor Smeg, booze doesn't make you a douche, it just shows people you already were one. True. Um, for me, I get very loud um, and I jump on karaoke a lot. So that, that that's me. Um, into the blue mister. I like Joseph. He seems like a very cool dude with the white, white, very wise head on his shoulders. So there you go. That's um, thank you uh, so much. That's uh, blowing a little bit of uh, smoke up your bum and thoroughly deserved. No <laughs> kind words. Thank you so okay. much. Um, well, we'll kind of wrap this up with a, a very well. We could have had a long conversation about this, but we'll talk as long as we can about um, okay. heavy about heavy metal. Yes. About your um, because. Um, like I say, the, the the progression of your um, of your career, senior e editor, um, well, intern editor, senior editor. I mean, editorial director, executive editor, um, the 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 big boss. Um, what what was it about heavy metal, and indeed, what was your reaction um, in your mind when you were approached? Because 
I, I mean, we've, we've spoken to um, uh, Heavy Metal uh, on the show previously, and I admitted mm -hmm. that for me, um, Heavy Metal has always been like Led Zepp. Um, that they um, have, the, I mean, I did. I got into Led Zeppelin very late into my uh, DJing and into my music uh, yeah. listening because they were almost like this K two, this this very big mountain that you had to scale. And heavy metal is very imposing in the comic book landscape. It's yeah got so much talent and it is so it's dense in the way that it tells its stories. What was your impression of heavy metal when you were approached? And how has that shifted now that you're in such a position of influence in the company? So, you know, um, David Irwin, who's the publisher, and I, we go back to the DC days and we reconnected through the years and just talked about our personal philosophies about story. And when David informed me that he had become the publisher and this was still not announced for a number of months and he wanted me to meet the CEO Matthew Bedney and have a conversation with him. I was like, you know, okay, I'm willing to talk to anybody. And, you know, heavy metal had had a reputation recently of what I'll call a period of calamity. And so through my business experiences, I have learned to listen to my spider sense. Every <laughs> time I ignore my spider sense, I suffer for it, whether in a small way or a uh, larger than a small way. So when I'm talking to someone, if my spider sense goes off, okay. I should note this is go sideways. When I spoke to Matthew Medney, the CEO, nothing, nothing in my radar went off. And I said, okay, I can, I can do business with you. <laughs> and speaking to him and David and understanding their vision for this company and speaking to the team of people that work there, it exemplifies such energy and such courage so courage to me is a core thing, right? Because a number of people and companies, they want more money, they want more readers, but they want to do things the same exact way. Um, courage in storytelling is very important because these are the things that inspire us in our daily lives. These are the things that inspire us for years and years. And heavy metal is legend. And the reason it's legend is because heavy metal was always a place of courage, um, of pushing boundaries, of shattering the glass, um, of totally going against America's repressed issues with sexuality and sex. Right. And so that's a place where you can be daring. And so that's what's really exciting to me is that we can all be daring. The leadership inspires us to be daring. And it's a very transparent company. There's not a sense of hierarchy. There's not a sense of fiefdoms. There's an understanding that as a community, we can all help each other climb the mountain, right? And for all of the creators that have been invited to heavy metal, there's a new generation of creators. There is a lot of amazing talents over, you know, all around the world in comics, outside of comics. And so we are opening the doors to them. 
And so Heavy Metal 300 is going to be the beginning of a new era for the magazine, a new era of the company. You're going to see names that you've never seen interacting before in terms of with the characters, with the magazine. And we're just going to keep going from there. So in one sense, it's intimidating. I don't want to say intimidating as a word, but you have to recognize what the responsibility is. So I'm very grateful that they trusted me to be the executive editor. And with the executive editor, I report directly to the CEO, the publisher, and I work in conjunction with Tim Seeley, who's our editor in chief. And the thing is, it's just, okay, I just want to meet up to that responsibility. And what does that mean? That means inviting creators here to give them an opportunity to tell amazing stories. That means making them feel welcome, giving them opportunities to work to their strengths and create high standard stories, right? I think, like I think me- the- mediocrity has no home at heavy metal. <laughs> there you go. That needs to be going on the cover. Um, I think the, for myself, I mean, certainly in the, for myself, 80s and early 90s, when I did dip into heavy metal, I always felt it was an artist's magazine. It was mm-hmm. driven by some legends, um, mm-hmm. of, uh, certainly of European comics, of uh, worldwide comics, but certainly of that, um, that, the, that the powerhouse of the art um, was what, for me, the legacy of heavy metal is. Um, from reading the releases about Virus, um, about releases and uh, the recent issues, and I mean, I've, I've got two nine nine uh, in my uh, in my pull list, and good, good. Um, yeah, um, and you, you're definitely seeing that there is a, a real uh, intent of it's the collaborative of artist, writer, inker, colorist. It's it's the full team instead of focusing on what you would say is the European model, which is that very art-driven um, story. Um, is that something that you feel that you're, you're wanting to bring to heavy metal, or has that kind of been there uh, in recent years? Um, well, listen, so comic books, sequential art, it is a visual medium, sure. right? So it's art first before you even get to the words. But... Um, I do feel that what we want to communicate now is that all of the creators are important. So when we have letterers working on our books, colorists working on our books, at the various creative areas, people are chosen with care because we feel like they're going to be the right partners and the right teammates. So... I think what we exemplify now is camaraderie, right? And that camaraderie extends to the creators who are working with us. You mentioned virus. Virus is an act of camaraderie with the fans who no longer had open comic book stores but still wanted stories, right? So what, what, there's di- a what, prom- what, dif- what differentiates Virus from the core heavy metal magazine ethos, would you say? Yeah. So with Virus, you know, it's creator owned, finished books 
we get them to market faster. We're willing to engage genres outside of the three core genres of heavy metal. Heavy metal is the leader in science fiction, fantasy, and horror. There could be a romance comic in Virus, right? Um, so it's a matter of expanding genres, and it's a matter of this is finished work, and it, we believe in it, and it's getting the finished work to market. Heavy Metal, the magazine, part of what we're doing is we're embracing the heavy metal intellectual properties, specifically Tarna and B-17, um, which is the story of the zombie pilot Nelson. Both of those are from the animated film, the 1981 animated film Heavy Metal. So we are going to be really expanding the mythologies of Tarna and B-17, which is now called Cold Dead War. And so that is going to be a place, um, I think, for continuing serializations. So stories distributed in bite-sized chunks that make up larger narratives. When you're talking about virus, you're talking about more concise narratives. Gotcha. And you're talking about things that in no way connect to the family of heavy metal intellectual properties. Well, I suppose the the question then is, I mean, the, the, the properties and the, the story, ongoing narratives in the pages of heavy metal, you can quantify them as being okay, that's heavy metal. In much the same way uh, you read uh, Strontium Dog and Judge Dredd, you know, that's that's 2000 AD. There's, there's that's a, right. a, a definite sense of what a heavy metal story is. What then kind of... I, I know this is going to be a big question, so let's see how we can condense yeah. this one. How you can okay. say that story is suitable for virus, that story is suitable to go under the heavy metal banner. Wow, that's interesting. I think virus is a bit more of a wider net in terms of genre, and I would say in terms of artistic styles, oh, right? Okay. There are some artistic styles that may not mesh with the expectation of the buyer, the reader of Heavy Metal Magazine, but independently within Virus, totally works within that ecosystem, right? So that's a thing. It's also the magazine is one type of a vehicle for stories. Virus as an imprint is another. And so I think with Virus, we could get a bit more experimental. I feel like in heavy metal, we wouldn't be as, I think, maybe aesthetically experimental. I think we'll be more story experimental. And I think in terms of the artist choices, the artist choices would probably be a bit more recognizable. So that's another thing, right? Like with heavy metal, I think you have an expectation of um, certain kind of artists, certain yeah. known artists. Virus, someone could start their career in virus. They could have the craziest offbeat comic that they weren't going to do as a web comic, but they said, you know what? Why don't I just do it as a book? And we do it through virus. A career could be started there. Wow. I, I, I'm also really curious. I mean, in very much the same way, because I was in the room when Mike Martz uh, came to the UK. He, it was the weekend that they launched 
uh, aftershock and the question was asked about how people were being approached was it something that they were because if one thing mike marx can do he can curate like nobody's business he can pull and he can find and he's got the rolodex of talent right there but like you've said there about creators coming and setting their stall um under under the virus banner has it been a case of i mean what's kind of been the split between you actually going to a creator and saying this is a a platform for you that you can go and play under the banner of virus or has it been people that have been coming to you what's been the, the kind of like the the fifth the, the split between the two it's actually been right down the middle um we've had a number of creators approach us with projects that they originally were going to pitch at a different company but they feel like virus is a better option for them um creators with material that may have been out of print but they feel like could have new life today right um with a new audience that's a possibility and we have reached out to various creators and let them know hey you know if you have something something you feel really passionate about you want a home for it let's have a conversation you know so just to let creators know let's have the conversation and see what happens and to let the industry know that there is another option for creators with very unique stories the people that have come to us for heavy metal i think it's really because that magazine made such an impression on their careers that they want to pay it they, forward they want to they want to honor it they want to honor exactly. that legacy yeah exactly right so i think it's two different kinds of intentions and it's two different kinds of opportunities fair enough um a couple of uh, last things before and i've just realized the time my word have we kept that, you we've kept you. Really, you you've got stuff to do man um it's true <laughs> you've got a Thank magazine you. to run you've got a magazine to run it's um <laughs> <laughs> we've got a couple of comments that are coming in uh, karma savage i never did watch heavy metal 2000 neither did i it was something that kind of skipped me by is it something you've seen and your thoughts on it you know, my thing is the 1981 film speaks to the quintessential flavor of heavy metal. And I feel like if you watch the 1981 film and then you read Heavy Metal 300, you're going to see a straight it. line through some core mythologies. I think it'll be a very interesting experience for people. <laughs> that, you know what? I think I might just do that. Because, yeah, okay. Um, and into the, into the blue, Mr. Heavy Metal has always reminded me of 2008. Both European, both with incredible creators, both have hit peaks and troughs. True. Um, I, I mean, I, I personally have seen um, Heavy Metal in recent years really making a... making strides to regain some of that ground that it, kind of, it lost in the mid-90s, early 2000s. Um, right. but I think that's culminated, like I say, with your hiring and with the, the, the rest of the, the hirings at, um, at heavy metal, there is a definite recognizing of a new chapter. And, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what, uh, the next, the next steps are, um, Thank in you. terms of that, in terms of that, and we'll finish on this question, um, okay. whether the mainstream comics, um, big, certainly the big two 
don't like to admit it. Uh, they seem to be now going back to doing Empire and doing the, uh, their, their usual thing and desperately hoping that it's going to be business as usual. In the year 2000, in the year 2020, it is for me feeling this can be a line in the sand. It is a new start. It's a, there are new possibilities. There are changes that have been forced on the industry and on the world at large. So it's a new start. It's almost year zero. For yourself, what is the most exciting thing about comics moving forward from this year? Um, absence of fear. I feel like the world has forced us all as citizens and as creators and as to servants of our communities to no longer be afraid to share our opinions um, because usually certain kinds of opinions, once they're shared, there's fear of reprisal. Sure. There's fear of punishment. There's fear of being left out of opportunities because you have certain opinions. And we're now in a time where the unfortunate, to, the unfortunate cumulative effect of tragedy has demanded that we listen to uncomfortable opinions, that we listen to daring perspectives, that we listen to everybody whom has been suffering and has something to say. And those stories, those are going to be the source of the art and the narratives that are going to lead us into the new world that's going to come out of this transitional, damaged, traumatized one that we're living in today. Bold stuff. And yeah, I, 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 I feel that we are still on the cusp of that. I, I, I agree that that is an exciting ideal to work across and work towards. We're working there. We're getting there. We've we got to do our best, man. Absolutely, absolutely. 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 Day by day, there's got to be a reason to get up in the morning. Sure. Uh, Solicitor Smeg, a couple of comments. At a time when the industry is in such danger, we can't afford to lose great creators to stupidity and intolerance. Correct. That's right. Absolutely. And also, uh, on a slightly more direct uh, uh, level, what is Virus's website URL? Um, where, where can people find out more about Virus? We have Very like, interesting. So we, we, we spoke to Just David go. Irwin. We, we have put it out before, but if we can put it out right now, where can people go? Yeah, I would say go to the Heavy Metal website. So heavymetal.com, go to the Heavy Metal website, and you'll be able to find out about Virus there. And that's always the good launching point for everything from the company. So go to the main Heavy Metal website. That's a man that doesn't want you to just look at Virus. That's a man that wants you to look at the, everything that they're doing across the board. And there well, you go. It's, all, it's, it's all connected. It's all connected that's... by the, the same theme. Yeah, that's an executive executive editor for you. <laughs> <laughs> Doing my best. Doing my best. Yeah. Listen, Joe, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I mean, the first time we met in person was at Portsmouth Comic Con a couple of years ago, mm -hmm. which feels like an eternity now. Um, Seriously, I'm really ho I'm really looking forward to seeing you again in uh, public uh, in IRL again. Uh, Same here, man. Sooner rather than later, we'll definitely split uh, a. Uh, uh, an artisanal cider and um, have a, 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 a good catch up when we get the chance. Um, hopefully, like I say, sooner rather than later. 
I'm, I'm looking, looking for, forward to it. You, and thanks for yeah, having me here. I really it's been, appreciate it's it. Been a, it's been a pleasure. We've we've covered a lot of ground, and it's been a, it's been a pleasure talking to you. You got it, Joe. Look right. after yourself. Take care. Uh, where can people follow you online and what you're up to? All right. Um, on Facebook, you can find me under Joe Illage. Last name is spelled I L L I D G E. On Twitter, it's Joseph P Illage, and Instagram, it's Illmaster One. Excellent stuff. Go and check out um, his social media. If anything, just to keep an eye on what he does, because um, he's uh, Joe is one of, for me, one of the most exciting voices in the comics industry, and it's a, a pleasure to have been talking to him. Joe, thank you, thank you very much indeed. Take care. All enjoy right, the rest of your day, sir. You too. Take care. Bye. Wow. So there we go. How cool was that? Um, thank you very much indeed to everyone for, uh, for watching this incidental episode. Uh, Brian Weiss, great conversation, folks. It was, wasn't it? Uh, we covered, like I say, some big topics there, and uh, it was a pleasure because uh, the man, like it's like I said when I was um, leading up to this uh, interview, um, he's a man who has an opinion and he has a brain and he has a heart, and he's he's one of the good guys, and uh, we all need as many of those as we can in the industry. Um, top load. There we go. Right, a couple of headlines that are uh, coming in um, into the Blue Mister. We put it up onto the screen. Breaking news, Wales Comic Con has postponed to 2021. That was something, I mean, we talked about New York as being the big New York, uh, new, uh, sorry, the North America convention moving forward that um, we are waiting to see how New York's going to react. But here on the UK, in the UK side, Wales Comic Con uh, was probably one of the last big conventions. Um, waited to find out exactly how that was going to uh, to move forward not entirely surprised um at the end of the day they have put themselves into a location that the telford convention center where they could if really forced could be able to um organize a crowd and do it safely in terms of social distancing and keeping both attendees and guests safe but i think they've felt that at this point with the way that the numbers still are in the uk that it's probably a good idea to postpone and it's a responsible decision uh, so um, bravo to uh, jamie on that one uh, wales comic con postponed to 2021. Uh, a comment uh, that um was further up and i believe this i'm gonna have to check this on social media uh, i'm only guessing that this is uh, something that uh, has uh, come from uh, cci that uh, comic con international are going to be announcing their panels from tomorrow it was something that we have been kind of alluding to up to this weekend and it is something that we're going to talk about on Sunday um, it's probably going to be myself I've, I'll invite you guys if you want to come on and discuss uh, the actual panels um, but um, yeah it's going to be very much like uh, Comic-Con International is running the show as though it was a physical convention uh, on that weekend of the 23rd to the 26th so we're going to be getting Thursday, oh, Thursday panels for Thursday Friday for panels for Friday Saturday panels for Saturday. But by all accounts, we're getting preview night as well. So we are going to be getting Wednesday panels and CCI are going to be announcing from tomorrow. I'll probably be commenting on social media. Um, I don't know if I'll do any live uh, Twitter reactions. Follow me on uh, Englishman SDCC and we'll do what we can to bring you up to date with the headlines, the runners and riders of the Comic-Con panels for Comic uh, SDCC at Home 2020. So there we go. Um, Last thing that I wanted to get into um, before we do wrap things up, and it's something that I've kind of let slide, unfortunately, um, is something um, which 
we started when we took this to twice weekly, which is showcasing um, talents that are online um, when it comes to um, artists that are putting out great work on their social media and also um, those that are, like um, Joe said, taking to um, crowdfunding as that um, publishing um, option um, when it comes to getting books out and stories out to a, a, a direct audience. As it happens, there is a project which um, is uh, being shared in my direction. So thanks to Leanne D for uh, telling us about this one. Uh, this is a new graphic novel from a very creative bunch of people um, and it's called Dragon. This is their promo video for it. Hi folks, it's Saladin Ahmed and I am super excited to talk to you today about the Kickstarter for my new graphic novel, Dragon. Dragon is a collaboration with the incredible horror artist Dave Acosta and a handful of other brilliantly talented folks and it's a story that I've been thinking about for a number of years. Dragon is a story of very different individuals coming together amid inherited bigotries and mutual suspicion and learning about each other in order to face the darkness together. Dragon is the story of Adil, who is a cynical, old, embittered commander of the Janissary Knights in the Sultan's army at the dawn of the Ottoman Empire. Dragon is also the story of Marjorie, who is a zealous, young, sure of herself nun who has fled the Holy Roman Empire and has found herself in the Ottoman East. It's the story of how these two characters who make very unlikely partners come together to face the most legendary monster in history, Vlad the Impaler, also known as Dracula. I don't want to give too much away, but Dragon draws on all sorts of things that are important to me as a storyteller, from gory horror movies to pulpy comic books to deeper themes of faith and solidarity. I'm super excited to bring it to you guys via Kickstarter because it really has allowed me and the creative team total control of the story that we're telling down to the format that we're telling it in. One of the things we're very excited about is to bring you this in a gorgeous edition. I've always loved the book as a physical object and to be able to bring this to you guys in huge oversized pages, much bigger than we typically see in a comic book on really beautiful paper. Uh, I've been looking at, at gorgeous papers and foil stamps and all sorts of things. And uh, I'm very excited about the, uh, the physical object that we are going to bring you guys. And Kickstarter is the ideal way for us to do that. So I hope you guys will hit that button and support us. And I'm really looking forward to bringing this to you guys. Uh, look for Dragon out next year. For right now, the only way that you can experience this story is here on this Kickstarter. So I do hope you'll join us. Thanks a lot, guys. Bye. How cool does that look? Um, this is, I mean, I've been a fan of um, uh, these guys for a long time. Uh, Saladin Ahmed is just an incredible writer, uh, very vibrant, um, doesn't, spins a lot of plates, but doesn't let any of them fall. Um, really gets into some real macro storytelling and um, is a very, a, a, a writer of real depth and texture. Very, very impressive. David Costa is just someone who has, he fills the page um, and it really pops when uh, the stuff that, uh, 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 Dave does really really impressive to see so I mean let's have a quick look at um, the actual um, Kickstarter the address is right there on uh, the screen uh, I mean this considering that this dropped 
um, earlier on today. And when I got shared it, it was something like, it, I mean, we're in uh, pounds here. Uh, so we're in uh, GDP. Um, it was at 16,000 when I got shared this about an hour and a half ago. We're at 27.8. It's a 32,000 pound goal. Um, it's got 30 days to go. This is going to break um, Kickstarter. It's going to break its uh, goals already. That's not a problem. It, it also does help, of course, that it is a uh, Kickstarter project that we love. But I think it's also uh, to do with uh, the fact that um, it's a very... I mean, it's it, it's not necessarily an affordable uh, book. I mean, we're clocking in. At, uh, I mean, the, it starts with a hardcover. Uh, it, it's not messing around. Um, it uh, starts at $31 um, and moves on to the Deluxe Harder at $39. It's not necessarily the cheapest Kickstarter in the world, which will, of course, uh, reflect on how well it's done financially. But I think people recognise just how good, uh, I mean, the creative team are behind this book. Saladin is an amazing writer, Dave's an uh, amazing artist. Uh, you've got the likes of Chris O'Halloran on uh, colours, Hassan on lettering. Um, it's just, I mean, look at it. It's its an amazing looking book. It's an appealing story because, uh, 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 come on, it's uh, knights versus uh, vampires. I mean, come on, it sells itself. Um, it's a, 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 I mean, like I say, it's a stunning book, a simple campaign, but it's also the fact that it is designed to be read. It's interesting that there's no digital um, aspect to it. There's, it's, there's no um, way of getting a digital PDF. It is purely about getting a book in your hands. And how cool is that, the, that someone is so determined to recognize the... Uh, I mean, it's like the, the, the difference between uh, binging and going to see something at a luxury cinema with uh, the big screen uh, sort of uh, experience. I think is that that's the difference. It's For those that... Um, wanted to see Hamilton on the big screen uh, or indeed on stage rather than just seeing it on your phone if that makes sense I think that's I think I, I think that made sense but um, no it's an exciting project um, and like I say um, put together by uh, some very very talented people indeed I would recommend checking it out kickstarter.com slash projects slash Saladin Ahmed slash dragon um, it looks cool give it a blast uh, into the blue mister. Saladin had me at Dracula. I, I know, man. What is it about? What is it about that character? Um, just still so sexy. Uh, can't knock it. But there we go. Excellent stuff indeed. Do check it out. Um, I think it's going to be. I mean, it's obviously going to. It's going to win. It's just going to. It's going to blast through. Not a problem at all. It's now just a case of uh, your support and uh, uh, jumping on, <laughs> jumping on board of this train as it speeds by past you. So get all get all of it now. So there we go. Right. That's us. Thank you very much indeed for watching us uh, on today's show. Um, back again on uh, tomorrow. Um, ah, yes. Let's tell you what talk about that particular uh, um, uh, exciting episode. Uh, we've got ourselves quite the guest that's going to be joining us uh, tomorrow. I am very much looking forward to this. This came off the back of a conversation. We had Russ Burlingame from comicbook.com uh, joining us uh, on on an episode and uh, it was a pleasure to have him on but he then dropped a line and uh, to a couple of friends in the industry and said um, would you be up for coming on the uh, an Englishman in San Diego um, the person that he reached out to and who responded said yeah I'm up for that um, we'll do it this weekend it was like two days before the actual um, show um, 
he recognized and realized what time the actual him coming on the show was going to be at five minutes into me going on air and I missed his emails. So we could have had him on. Eric Larson, of course, um, legendary comic creator, um, one of the founders of Image Comics and um, just one of those uh, the benchmarks of uh, a, a fine creator indeed. Um, we could be talking about all sorts of things. Um, so looking forward to talking to Eric Larson tomorrow. It's going to be on our regular show. It's on the Wednesday. So please join us from 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. GMT. Um, it's going to be a cool one. Eric Larson is going to be our guest tomorrow on Talking Con. And then this Sunday, we're going to be doing our San Diego Comic Con. SDCC at home panel breakdown. It's going to be slightly different, obviously, because as much as CCI are doing their best to make it feel like the regular con is going ahead as normal, it's not the same thing. At the end of the day, there are going to be panels that are going to be lost in the mix. Instead of you wandering around and finding your new favorite thing as you find somewhere to plonk yourself down and eat your chili dog uh, in a small panel room somewhere and suddenly discovering a book or an animation or a comic that you just didn't know about. At the end of the day, they've got to try and get that feeling and that, 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 that content out there when it's going to be battling against the likes of Marvel, Sony, Paramount, and whoever else they have uh, persuaded to produce content for this virtual con. It's going to be interesting. Um, please do join us. Um, it's going to be on Sunday, 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. GMT, as we do a breakdown of SDCC at Home 2020. Something else as well I just want to uh, point uh, you in the direction of this Saturday. Um, there is always the best thing about uh, San Diego Comic-Con, which is different from pretty much every other convention out there, which is the off-sites. Uh, it's the ability to expand the convention experience beyond the convention center and into the city and that's why whenever I explain the appeal of it, uh, Comic-Con it isn't a convention that happens at San Diego Convention Center it is a event that takes place in San Diego it takes over the city the off-sites to for many people are often more appealing than what actually happens inside the convention center one of those things uh, one of those um, uh, events has been Nerdist House put together by Nerdist um, putting on some great panels over the years, um, highlighting some interesting and uh, off-the-beaten-track um, uh, uh, content, which has been cool. Now, obviously, um, they could have run uh, the Nerdist House content on the day of uh, Saturday of uh, Comic-Con at Home, but they have decided that they're not going to tread on anybody's toes, and what they're going to do is actually put the uh, content online this weekend. So please do check out Nerdist House online on the Nerdist channel. Um, it's going to be from 10 a.m. Pacific and it's going to run. Uh, there's about four or five panels throughout the course of the day, including um, it kicks off. This is how they start um, with a reunion panel with all of the, uh, the cast and crew, including Brian Fuller, including Mads Mikkelsen um, of Hannibal. Um, it's a much beloved show and uh, very much going to be uh, attracting a lot of attention. But considering that they're putting that as the first um, show on, um, uh, the first panel on, on that particular day, that's interesting. 
So, um, curious to see um, how the rest of it's going to go on. Uh, and then, of course, we've got ourselves um, uh, the uh, a reunion of Rad, uh, which is the uh, teen BMX uh, 80s <laughs> film, which is so bizarre that that's what they're going with. Um, but that's going to be um, the, the next panel on. And then you've got some other great content. It's really looking like a really fun uh, way to uh, check out some uh, live content. That's this Saturday. Uh, so do check out uh, Nerdist House on Nerdist at, um, uh, and I think they're also going to be broadcasting on Geek and Sundry, I suspect. So do check out um, the uh, the Nerdist uh, channel. Um, that's going to be Saturday the 11th of July. Uh, do check it out on YouTube for all of what they've got coming up this weekend. And that's me. Thank you very much indeed. I'm now going to go off and just check what um, I've missed while we've been on air. Wales Comic Con postponing. Um, we're also going to have um, all the uh, Comic Con at home stuff as well. That's going to start rolling out. So there we go. Um, thank you very much indeed for uh, uh, Joe Illich for joining us. That was a great conversation. Hope you enjoyed it. We are going to be putting these online, uh, not only on the uh, the visual mediums and on the visual channels, which you can watch uh, right now, but also we are now moving into the audio podcast. So within the next hour or so, I'm going to be uploading this episode to SoundCloud, which you can like and subscribe to, but it also will push to um, iTunes and also to Spotify. So if you are a supporter of the podcast, please do follow us, subscribe, comment. Uh, let us know what you've thought of the episode. Um, I know that people have been comment commenting here on the Q&A. That's great. Go down to the comment below and let us know and let everyone know what uh, you've been thinking about the show because it really does help us uh, with what we get on up to here on uh, Talking Con. Back again tomorrow, Eric Larson. How cool is that? It's going to be great. going to be great. Take care. Enjoy the rest of your day. Um, for myself, Lena Sultana, and from Talking Con, we'll see you soon. Bye.